Good afternoon. Thank you so much for being a part of what we're doing here at the Northfield Boulevard Church of Christ here at GodsRedeemed.org. invite you to open your Bibles to the book of 1 John chapter 1 where we're going to camp out and spend most of our time today. 1 John chapter 1. And we'll read just a couple of verses there beginning in verse 5 in just a moment. I want to start out though by making a couple of comments that when it comes to the Bible and when it comes to the study of God's Word, there are certain things that we know. And John talks about the things that we know. He loves the phrase, by this we know, and uses that phrase repeatedly throughout the book of 1 John. He was the apostle of love who knew of Jesus' love. We know of salvation we are certain of things that we can claim and things that we know. But one of the things that I thought was ironic about this particular part of John's letter in the second half of the first chapter, beginning at about verse 5, is there are some things that we as Christians, and for that matter, we as human beings, whether we are Christians or not, cannot claim. And I want to talk about three things that I can't claim today. But I want to start out and look in verse 5 and read through verse 10, where the Bible records for us the words of the Apostle John, the friend of Jesus, the author of this and four other books. And he says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. And he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Notice that on three different occasions, John says, if we say. And on each of those three occasions, he makes a statement about the things that we cannot claim, things that we cannot vouch for, things that we cannot harbor to ourselves and say are truthful. I want to begin, though, by looking at verse 5 when he says, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you. John, who is writing here likely much later in his life, is talking about the things that were committed to him by Christ himself in the three and a half years that he and Jesus spent together. And so when he says this is the message, a message is typically something that is important, something that is worthy of attention. And that is certainly the case here with these three things that I can't claim. And three things that you can't claim either. Number one, I can't claim that I can walk in darkness and still be pleasing to God. Another way of saying that is I can't claim or argue that I can be involved in sin 
and still be pleasing to my Lord. Go back to verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him, but yet we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. This is a lie to consider that we can be in darkness and still be pleasing to God. Turn over a page or so in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2 and read in verse 9 where he says, He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. His eyes. Clearly, John is talking to a group of individuals, and there are all kinds of studies as to the audience to whom John is speaking, whether that be the Gnostics or the recipients of other false messages or false doctrines or false teachings in the latter part of the first century. But one of the things that is abundantly clear that John is trying to argue here is that you cannot say I'm going to continue living a life of sin, but yet I'm going to be pleasing to God. You know, there are certain religious groups today that teach that message, that you can just live however you want, but you've been cleansed from all unrighteousness, and there's nothing that you need to do in order to make any sort of a change. That's one of the things that Matt Dow was talking about in his study of Jeremiah just a couple of days ago. That in Jeremiah chapters 25, 26, and 27, there was this call for repentance where you have to make an actual change. Turn with me, if you would, over to Matthew chapter 23, and I want to read a couple of verses as we think about this idea of walking in darkness and still being pleasing to God. As we think about the hypocrisy of some of the scribes and the Pharisees in the first century years earlier when Jesus addressed them. In verse 2, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works, for they say and they do not do. And then for the next 30 verses or so, Jesus will go to great length to say, you cannot walk in darkness and still be pleasing to God. He's arguing the same thing that John is arguing here in 1 John chapter 1 and chapter 2. I cannot claim that I can walk in darkness and still be pleasing to God. There's a second thing that is argued by John here as you drop down to verse 8 where he says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Notice in verse 6, we do not practice the truth. In verse 8, the truth is not in us. The second thing that we cannot claim is that we are perfect, that we are without sin. In Proverbs chapter 28, in verse 13, there was a text there that I thought was interesting to compare. In Proverbs chapter 28, in verse 13, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. If you like thinking about particular key words, verse 13, confesses and forsakes. 
Both of those things have to be true in order for a person to be forgiven of sin. That fits nicely with the first observation, I can't walk in darkness and still be pleasing to God. But claim number two is I'm perfect. I've got nothing wrong with me. If you say you have no sin, you are deceiving yourself, you are trying to deceive God, and you're trying to, see, to deceive others. That kind of pompous or egotistical attitude as, look at me, look how perfect I am, I am without sin, goes against everything that is taught by Jesus, taught by the apostles, and found in God's word in totality. I want to look at two passages, both from the book of Luke, first in Luke 12 and then in Luke chapter 18, to illustrate this attitude of perfection and why it is argued by John that you can't argue that you are perfect. This pompous attitude is found in Luke chapter 12. Remember in verse 13 where it says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he says, man who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you. This was, by the way, in the context of Jesus just talking about the hypocrisy uh, and the leaven of the Pharisees in the early part of chapter 12. And then he says, take heed and beware of greed, as is used in some versions of verse 15. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he speaks this parable. And this is the parable that I thought fit nicely with the idea of I'm perfect. This man had a ground which yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, he said, what am I going to do since I have no room to store my crops? And then he loves the word or the letter I. He says, I will do this. I will pull down my barns, build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God responds to him in a very charged tone and says, you are a fool. This night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? You see, this man thought of himself as being greater than what he should have thought. That pompous attitude, that egotistical attitude, the idea that I don't need anybody else and I surely don't need God in my life, I am perfect. Turn over, if you would, then to Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 18, and we see a similar individual. Here you have a man who comes to Jesus and he says, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. You know the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't commit murder. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And the man said, All these things I have kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he says, Here's what you lack. By the way, how might you paraphrase verse 21, all these things I have kept from my youth? I think of that as the man saying, I'm perfect. I've got everything going well in my life. There's no other change that needs to be made. But Jesus says you cannot argue, nor can you claim that you are perfect. You still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. 
and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. I think those two individuals, the, the rich man with his busting barns in Luke chapter 12, and this rich younger man who was a ruler of others, that these are individuals here in Luke 12 and 18 who needed to hear the instruction of the apostle John, who says, you cannot claim that you are perfect, that you are without a need for God in your life. And that brings us to a third and a final claim that we cannot make, and that is, I am without sin. It goes along nicely with the idea of uh, I am perfect. But go to verse 10 of 1 John chapter 1, where he says, If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we are calling God and making him out to be a liar. Because we are told in Romans 3 verse 23 that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Look over, if you would, at the last chapter of 1 John. In chapter 5 and verse 10, he who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God, including that we have sinned, makes him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son or given to his son for our benefit. I want to look at two passages, one in Romans and one in Galatians, that I think helps us really understand the importance of arguing that we are men and women who are with sin as opposed to claiming that we are without sin. First in Romans chapter 11, and drop down to about verse 32. God has committed them, talking about men and women, both historically and in present times, God has committed them all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Who is it that's been committed to disobedience? All. If you like circling words in your Bibles, you might consider circling the word all and disobedience because we are all disobedient. John comes along in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 10. He says, there are some who claim that I am without sin. Not true. Not true at all. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 22, the apostle Paul, who is the primary author of the New Testament, speaks to this as well. When he says in chapter 3 of Galatians in verse 22, the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So a person who claims, I am without sin, is certainly someone who is not familiar with the Bible, and is certainly someone who, along with claim number two, is arguing for his own perfection separate from Jesus Christ. Now it's true. That we can be perfect and complete and redeemed in Jesus Christ, but it's only in Jesus Christ. I say that knowing full well that that puts us at odds with others in the world that would suggest that there are other names by which we might be saved. Whether that be a particular religion or a religious belief or just the notion that I am spiritually minded 
for whatever that may mean, that those who are in the world believe that they can be without sin, void of Jesus. That is a false doctrine. John speaks about that when he records the words of Jesus, when Jesus says, I am not a way, I am not a truth, and I am not a way of life, but I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see, John is talking to a group of individuals here in his letter in 1 John chapter 1, and he says, you need to understand this is the message that we received from the Savior himself, and this is the message that we deliver to you. What does all this mean for us? Well, let me conclude by just coming up with three very simple observations, or three applications for us. Number one, we need to be men and women who admit in prayer our desperate need for God. Knowing that we cannot walk in darkness and still be pleasing to God, knowing that we are not perfect, knowing that we are not without sin, we have to pray to God and beg Him on our knees for His kindness, for His continued watch care, we are desperate in our need for God. How often do you pray and when in prayer privately admit, I need you, God, and I need you desperately? But that needs to be a key component to the way that we pray, to the attitude of prayer that we have, both publicly and privately. Secondly, we need to acknowledge that the salvation that comes from God comes from God alone. It goes back to that point that there is no other name under heaven by which men are saved, as was written. John is saying here in 1 John chapter 1 that you cannot have salvation. You cannot be perfect. You cannot be complete. You cannot be without sin. You cannot be pleasing to the Lord unless you do particular things. One of the things that David Creech has done a nice job of presenting in his study of Acts is that there are things that we have to do. One of the things that he mentioned in the last couple of weeks is the word do is in some ways a dirty word in the religious circle. The idea that I have to do anything in order to please God. Well, I can just call on him and be saved. Well, we'll see in Acts chapter 9, 22 and 26 that indeed you can call upon God, but it requires more than just speaking his name. It requires more than we saw in our study of Jeremiah just saying the temple, the temple, the temple. But it requires a constructive desire and will to do what is right in God's sight. So I must acknowledge that salvation comes from God and comes from him alone. And thirdly, I must accept the importance of living a non-hypocritical life. Now, we live in a world where so many people are anti-church, anti-Christ, anti-religion because of the notion that we are all a bunch of hypocrites. Well, we sometimes need to be willing to admit that there are individuals in the world who are not living correctly. And sometimes that's us as members of the Lord's church. The difference is, is we admit that we are living incorrectly and we want to make positive changes for the future. But we have to acknowledge 
and then accept the importance of living that non-hypocritical life that Jesus talks about at great length. Go back, if you would, and read Matthew chapter 23 on your own time this week, and you'll see at great length where he says on multiple occasions, Woe unto you, you scribes and Pharisees. And then what does he call them? He calls them hypocrites because of teaching one thing and then doing something different. You see, there are things that we can claim. I can claim that God is the God of salvation. I can claim that I can be saved by his grace and by my obedience to him. But I cannot claim with a straight face, John says, that I can walk in darkness and still be pleasing to God. I cannot claim that I am perfect and I cannot claim that I am without sin. We are asking you to make appropriate claims today and to speak the truth about yourself, about God, and about your relationship with him. And if there's something that we can do as brothers and sisters in Christ to strengthen you in a difficult time, we would welcome that opportunity. Maybe you're watching today and you are not a Christian. And you say, it's time for me to become a child of God by doing what Saul of Tarsus was commanded to do, as we referenced in Acts chapter 9, when he was told, arise and be baptized, confessing your faith in Jesus Christ and repenting of your sins. Because when we confess our faith in Jesus and repent of our sins, we are doing actually what John is asking us to do. And that is to say, you know what? I can't be pleasing to God and walk in darkness or be perfect or be without sin. We are happy to help you with that. If we can in any way, let us know. Contact us and we'll be happy to help you. Thanks so much for watching today.